Welcome to Inaudible. I'm your host, Jeremy Wyland, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nathan Reddy. On this podcast, we discuss the weird, beautiful channeled messages found in the long tradition of contact with the Confederation of Planets in service to the one infinite creator. These messages articulate a philosophy of spiritual evolution, popularly known as the Law of One. Many of these messages are available to listen to on our sister podcast, Living Love and Light, available on all platforms. We seek to provide analysis and commentary on this philosophy described in these messages, identifying the common themes and grappling with the application of this information to our human lives. However, we are not counselors, gurus, or experts of any kind, so please evaluate our words in light of our shortcomings and use your own best judgment. Thanks for listening. And hello, Nathan. How's it going? Hey, Jeremy. Just uh, life's good, man. How are you? I mean, busy with this new job, but you know. Yeah, congrats on the new job and getting uh, such a uh, running start uh, right at the get-go. Yeah, so uh, uh, to kind of randomly comment uh, on uh, kind of Catalyst before we jump into the topic for today. Um, so I guess uh, YouTube or Instagram personality, I guess I've only recently started following is uh, David Groggins. He's all about kind of like, have you heard of him? Like pushing the limit, willpower, all that stuff. Uh, it's almost like he talks about changing your relationship to Catalyst. He's all about uh, fitness, though. Um, so it's kind of, I'm kind of trying to uh, incorporate some of that mentality into how I view Catalyst. You know? Yeah. No. There's uh, there's definitely a lot of potential energy in those things that uh, frustrate us. That's actually something that I'm working with too, because I'm having some hiccups with my career. I'm having some uh, issues with uh, work that are boggling my mind as well. And uh, one way to relate to it is to want to sort of escape or back away and just go to where it's safe and where it's known. And, and, and the other sort of energy of meeting a catalyst is to kind of like throw yourself recklessly into it. Uh, and I'm not sure if I'm ready for that, but I sort of do see that there's a lot of new, uh, uh, new potential to be released with what I'm going through. And it's like that with any catalyst, right? It's not, it's not special to me or this catalyst. Uh, it's just, it tests you in exactly the way you're weakest is what it feels like. And in that way, it can seem a little personal and cruel. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it shows you the chinks in, in the armor, right? Any, yeah. any catalyst really, um, regardless of the, the, the origin or source. So, yeah, especially with things like, uh, you know, career, we, we, we tend, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but we tend to approach these things in a very right or a left brain, uh, analytical way where we're weighing the pros and cons. We're kind of strategizing and figuring out, you know, what the most profitable ne next step would be. Um, and then my, my, my sense is that in my success in doing that, uh, I, there's a side effect where, uh, you know, then I'm left with these feelings that I have to account for over the year or two or three or whatever that I'm at this job. All those things that I didn't bring to bear on the decision uh, then start to crop up. And I think what I'd like to do is involve my emotions and my feelings and those deeper parts of myself in these decisions instead of, frankly, what I usually do, which is toss it around in my head and then just take the easiest path. Honestly, like, because a job's a job, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting. Um, 
yeah, for me, it's more of uh, learning, like the concept of maybe slow creation, because I guess you know the idea that you can put in consistent work and then you, but you may not see the results until like three, four, five, six years later. That's true in. I don't know, at least in my experience, the two areas of life where that seems more true for most people is your career. I mean, you'll see some improvement, but you won't necessarily see the massive improvement until you've really put in the time, right? And I'd also say, at least at our age, maybe fitness, right? Um, But it's very interesting in that it's almost like the way I kind of, um, I'm trying to approach work and career is kind of understanding that you're really also trying to optimize a long-term goal, but you can't just do it through logic and left brain. You have to truly emotionally want whatever that long-term goal is, right? Absolutely. And I think that's one of the things I'm starting to learn at this late stage, which is that you know a lot of what employment and work is, is a harnessing of will and desire yes. towards some sort of economic value being produced. And, you know, I'm used to thinking of it in sort of like, you know, quasi Marxist terms of the exploitation that's involved in getting that value out of people. But there's also a sense in which like set aside how others are exploiting or not. There's also a sense in which it is your greatest ability to focus in the manifestation illusion, uh, your desire and will of, on, you know, on your own terms. I mean, I always tell beginning programmers, yeah, a lot of this software you're writing, you're not going to care about. Find some little piece in it that you do care about and then make it all about that. Um, and I'm, I'm not awesome at, at taking my own advice. But when I enjoy my job the most, usually it has very little, little to do with like the, 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 the overarching ends of the, of the startup or the organization or whatever, and more to do with like what personal thing is this bringing out in me that I feel like I'm making progress. It's that sense of feedback that you're working, you're putting energy into something and the universe is responding right? You're hitting something that's, that's pinging off of the crystal of the creator, you know? Absolutely. I think it is absolutely important to find at least some small aspect that you like in the present moment. Um, and then for me, it, it, lately, it's also been being able to visualize that goal or outcome. And, and, and you could be, you're, this is, you can truly fall uh, astray here because a lot of people, their goal and outcome is something that they've learned from society, their parents, whatever. And it's not something they true that truly energizes them. But if you can find some sort of goal or outcome that that is realistic, but that also at a deeper level moves you, you know, you know, if you're in touch with your intuition, your emotions, and then you can really realistically see a way of achieving that. It might not be immediate, might not be in the next three or four years, but in the five, six, seven years. And in addition, pair that with some sort of enjoyment in the moment with the daily, I hate to use the word grind, but if it feels that way, sometimes it really, it, it amplifies the entire process. It makes it, it makes it feel like there's um, a purpose. And a lot of these times, these goals are not necessarily, you know, something as uh, maybe satisfying or fulfilling as, you know, evolving the self through, you know, becoming closer to God. But in a lot of ways, 
focusing on these lower ray catalysts, they do help you uh, even with the upper ray catalysts. It's just in a different way, right? It's that foundation of the red, orange, and yellow that is built. And and to a certain extent, also green, right? And, and blue, because there's a lot of, there's faith involved in the really trying times, right? So uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's funny how a lot of, I feel like a lot of times when we talk, uh, before, even before sessions or in the run-up, um, and I don't know if you're going to cut this, but uh, we, it's like there's uh, waves of catalysts, and we often, our waves are not the exact same, but they have a similar tone to it, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, man, right now, it just seems like everybody's going through it. You know what I mean? It seems like everybody, in whatever way is most meaningful to them, is going through it. And I've had challenges that go beyond, you know, jobs, uh, into relationships and stuff like that. Um, I, would be honest, like, you know, uh, just to let the listener know, uh, the Richmond meditation circle, uh, geez, like a week ago, like exactly was talking to Monka once more. Um, and I had been really dedicated and focused on the energy needed to, uh, for a week running up to that session, uh, to, to be on point and to not, and to avoid things that would detract from my, uh, attention, energy, and focus. And then like after the session was over, it was like all of that goody two shoes discipline, like gave way to like excess and indulgence <laughs> and, I, and, and, and also like, you know, patterns that I don't necessarily want to, uh, continue. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's a really interesting, it shows you why pol- polarity is such an important aspect of consciousness that the creator has found because this contrast that's created allows for you to be able to make a discrete and confident selection. Otherwise it would be too muddy, right? Most of the time life is in between all this stuff. So I found that like, it was very clear that I enjoyed much more being disciplined and focused, even though there were things that I needed to balance in that, than I do just kind of like drifting in the wind of my own, you know, desires and, you know, going out drinking or going, or just, you know, uh, just not, not, not doing as good of meditations. And, um, you know, I would also say that when I'm on that more, uh, on that path that it reflects less of what I genuinely want, it's really clear to me that I don't want to it. And yet, why do I cling to it? I cling to it because it's safe. I cling to it because it's a pattern that I know. It's the devil I know. And um, it's also a way for me to not take responsibility. See, this is the big thing that I've been recognizing as I go uh, deeper into channeling is how much responsibility tags along with that with the power and the, uh, the abilities that, that, that ride along. And that's tough because it means I can't just be a carefree human. I have to, I have to really, and I, and, and, and really you can't just say, Hey, for this week, I'm going to be a monk. It really doesn't work like that, but it's like a gradual thing that I'm getting myself into. But I see on the horizon, man, I see a Jeremy that, uh, has going to have let a lot fall away. Yeah, I mean, uh, discipline is is just so important, and you know, um, having I guess uh, recently joined the channeling circle and having one channeling session, uh, 
definitely sparked a lot of catalyst. You could say it was it was right after that that I realized, um, you know, I was going to be kind of shifting jobs, but also just really just facing your shadows um, and all, but also just facing your dreams. Like, I guess I, for a long period of time, I, I really wanted to find my dream and my work. And then I kind of realized that after exploring a lot of that, that the path for me, you know, just based on all the signs, my intuition and logic was that, um, Work for me was something that, you know, I wanted something that I was good at, that I enjoy, but the love of the true love that I have in life comes from my things outside of work. I mean, there's definitely aspects of the work that you like, but that there's aspects of the work you don't like. You know, some people, they find something that they love and they say they, they, they feel like they've never worked a day in their life. Well, I personally have tried that for looking, looking for that for like 10 years and I've and, and through that process, I've left jobs that I really liked, but I wasn't like, oh, I'm not in love with this job, right? Mm-hmm. And then I kind of realized that, um, you know, I, I, over the course of years, I became open to the idea slowly and I experimented with the idea that maybe the love in my life, you know, the thing that gets me up in the morning is going to be what I do after work, not necessarily during work. And that work will be something enjoyable, but not necessarily something that I, 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 I will feel is not work, you know? Um, so, and I think that, that, uh, realization finally fully crystallized in the last few months. And a part of that wasn't just me changing jobs or a result of that wasn't just me changing jobs, but it also was this conclusion that I want to follow my dreams outside of work. Like every single thing that I would want in my ideal life. I'm going to set out to achieve. It might not happen overnight, but it's going to happen eventually. Right. So, and it's, it's very empowering. Um, it's just awesome. Right. Just it, cause it's like, otherwise, what are you going to, you're just going to live in like fear and anxiety or, you know, play this, play it safe. And while I've tried that out in my job and I'm like, it's not about playing safe for whatever reason, my job just have something consistent that I'm good at that I enjoy. But, you know, outside of work, just, I'm going to try to do what I really want to do, you know, without fear. I I think that's the easier path in a lot of ways to not have to put all of your professional, spiritual, uh, uh, intellectual, philosophical eggs in the basket of a single position. After all, it is what you spend eight hours of your day doing, but it's only eight hours. And, um, and we do get two days off usually. <laughs> So, I was going to say, I don't know what, what job you're at eight hours, but no. Yeah, seriously. I, I, I'm trying to be relatable here. If I talked about how much, yeah, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> it's, it, this, is, uh, this is the 21st century. What counts as work and what isn't work. It's very slippery sometimes, right? Like some of the most, some of the hardest I've worked, I haven't felt like I've produced anything, but I've delivered the most value, you know, especially now that I'm in like management positions and stuff. Yeah. So like one of the conclusions and I, you know, I feel like a lot of people say this, but for me, I guess I just never realized it is that really what makes life worth living that, that, you know, that love that just energizes you in the morning isn't, is the personal uh, connection to the creator. But for me, it's also 
just having those friendships that I really value. Um, so yeah, you know, maybe it doesn't make sense to take, you know, a few days off every year to visit some friends, but, and in the past I would say, Oh, I'm too busy, you know, whatever. But now I'm like, no, this is what life is, is about for me, you know? Um, and it doesn't matter if maybe it's not optimal from a job perspective, because I realized for me, my love of life doesn't directly stem from my job. Although, I, you know, there's aspects I love. I love also, you know, in any given day working with people who really need assistance, you know, because I do criminal justice. I absolutely love aspects of it. But as a whole, it's not like it's not always getting me up in the morning, so to speak. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I I think that uh, this is one of the things that I've talked about with other members of the working group is this idea that working a normal job and like having to balance that with our higher aspirations puts us in the shoes of the very other selves that we seek to serve so that we never become disconnected and in an ivory tower uh, where we think that it's easy because it's easy for us because, you know, for some reason we don't have to earn our keep. Uh, I think keep, it keeps us grounded and, and, um, and, and, and in the same kind of illusion where we can reach the, where others are in that illusion. Absolutely. Um, it's funny because I think we went on this whole tangent about uh, careers and jobs and all that, because I was trying to find a segue into the topic we were going to talk about. But now I feel like we had, I was like, why don't we just make this whole episode about jobs? <laughs> just keep going. <laughs> but alas, <laughs> we probably could, but, but uh, yeah. I feel like we hurt, we hit the high points. Yeah. We hit um, the main points, I think. Yeah. Um, it's, I, I do want listeners to understand that we are working stiffs just like you. And, uh, we do this because we love it and because we care about this aspect of consciousness that, that all of us are interested in. And so we are, uh, if we can be of any help to you, please reach out to us. We have a contact form on the front page of the website. That's inaudible.show. Okay, so let's just uh, not segue and go right into it. Uh, what we wanted to talk about today was prompted by a request from a listener, Melissa. Thank you so much for making this request, Melissa. Um, and I saw that it was likely prompted by a thread on the Bring Forth forum. Uh, that's uh, discourse.bringforth.org. Um, and over there, they were talking about intuition and desire. And there was some discussion around that. And there was a user there, Stephen, who actually uh, compiled a bunch of different uh, conscious channeling excerpts on uh, specifically uh, intuition, because Melissa's question was on intuition. What is intuition? What distinguishes it from other aspects of the self, uh, other resources that the self may have? Is it the same thing as the unconscious? Uh what's going on there. So that's what we're going to discuss today. And I think, uh, Nathan, before the, the recording started, we were discussing kind of beginning with the definition of intuition, or at least what, what serves as a definition that those of Ra provided. Um, so is there somewhere you want to start with that? Or you want me to just jump in? No, no, I think you can jump in. I just, uh, one, one forward to that is that I think people sometimes get confused why definitions are important. Very rarely is there an objective definition of anything, 
But having just a subjectively agreed upon definition allows you to, one, have a discussion. And a well-crafted subjective definition allows you to have a discussion that results in useful, actionable, um, basically, uh, like, actionable, uh, you could say, suggestions, I guess, right? Like, you can, like, if you define, uh, like, for example, this is one critique, and I'm sure I'll get reamed by real philosophers, (laughs) but I feel like... um, you know, there's certain philosophies that uh, basically say everything comes down to, like hedonism, everyone think everything comes down to falling pleasure, right? See, it's it's pleasure, and they redefine literally everything, all desire, everything that you could want, addiction, compulsions, whatever, as as basically a form of pleasure. And while technically you can do that, I think it actually yields less work as opposed to breaking down all the different things that can cause that can move people to action, right? There's addictions, there's compulsions, there's logical analysis and reasoning, there's emotional, like emotions, lust, all that stuff. Instead of just lumping it all into pleasure, in my opinion, having a, a useful working definition actually lets you understand yourself and others better and lets you work upon the self and actually uh, find actionable items, so to speak. Yeah. And as long as um, I would like to throw out the caveat that these, the definitions serve the concept, right? Right. Like the concept isn't limited necessarily to what definition we can cobble together. It's kind of like the signifier signified semiotic idea where like what we're pointing to is what we want to talk about. We're using this definition as a way to get to that thing, but it will never fully capture it. And the second we start thinking that, uh, well, we become lawyers, Nathan, <laughs> arguing over uh, whether a definition uh, or something in the law means this or means that. And as soon as it gets into arguing beyond a certain point, uh, I, I would be the first to say that it's the it's the clash of ideas that casts light, and it can cast light, but it can also create a lot of uh, unusable heat. <laughs> and I've Absolutely. seen that a lot in discussions in metaphysics, and especially in the law of one, because it it does kind of have a lot of technically well defined terms. Right. I do think we'll find that intuition might not be one of those. Um, was there one you wanted to start with, Nathan, or should I jump in? No, I mean, I think uh, we were discussing starting with some of the raw uh, Q&As on it, and I think that's a great place to start. Yeah, so there's there's a there's a uh, excerpt from the raw contact that I've been studying a lot lately because uh, in some of the writing I'm doing, I'm trying to give more basic uh, starting points for this philosophy. And uh, session 30, question two, is a really good starting point because I was trying to find if there was a definition for mind-body-spirit complex, and there really isn't in the contact itself, but this is about as close as it gets. Uh, in, uh, session 30, question two, uh, Don asks, would you define mind, body, and spirit separately? And those of Ra reply, these terms are all simplistic descriptive terms, which equal a complex of energy focuses, the body, as you call it, being the material, the density, which you experience at a given space time or time space, this complex of materials being available for distortions of what you would call physical manifestation. The mind complex, sorry, the mind is a complex which reflects the inpourings of the spirit and the uppourings of the body complex. It contains what you know as feelings, emotions, intellectual thoughts, and its more conscious complexities. 
Moving further down the tree of mind, we see the intuition, which is of the nature of the mind more in contact or in tune with the total being this complex. And then they talk about the roots of mind that that follow as you as you progress down. Uh, but to me, that's probably the most succinct definition that those of Ra provide. It, it so the first thing to to take away is it's part of the mind. That's the first thing we right. need to understand. It's not like necessarily uh, part of the spirit complex. It's part of the mind complex. Uh, the second thing would be that it's kind of deeper down than other aspects of mind, like the intellect and uh, just mere feelings and emotions. Uh, even though we know that like emotions are very deep in the sense that purified emotions are extremely close to the archetypal mind, which is kind of at the root of all of this. Um, nevertheless, that intuition, while it does partake of feelings, is distinct um, in that there's kind of a harmony between it and our deeper selves uh, that lies, you know, in the unconscious. And that's probably the third thing to bring up is that while the intuition does speak to our conscious minds, it seems to partake more of the female passive unconscious aspect of ourselves. Uh, if we consider our waking mind to be the more masculine active part of our, a part of our minds. Um, anything you want to uh, lump on there, Nathan? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think um, that was kind of a good overview. I, I, and there's other quotes that we're going to talk about that kind of, instead of maybe putting it as, as a passive, it's more of the receptive and listening, you know, portion um, I do see it as a portion, you know, what's interesting is I, I had the question as we're, uh, thinking about using this as a topic about whether intuition existed before the veil. And I, and I'm leaning towards the idea that intuition is something that's unique to the veil mind. So it's, yeah. It, I, I think it probably is a lot like uh, service to self and service to others, You'll recall that there's a part where Ra says that in the previous octave before the veil, those polarities existed. They just didn't get expressed. Right. They were always under the surface, right? They were, they were, they were, they were part of the mix, but they weren't called into this vivid polarized expression that allowed them to be easily uh, sort of identified as a thing in itself rather than just this part of an undifferentiated spectrum, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that, that's a lot what creation is throughout the octaves. If, 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 if I can uh, riff a little bit, like what, you know, the, even Ra says the creator doesn't properly create, right. It realizes itself and it does so by like at calling out these different aspects in greater and greater articulation so that they can be understood and appreciated in and of themselves and as parts of the, the larger self that is the creator. So anyway, uh, the, the next, uh, quote I wanted to talk about was, uh, 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 session 49, question four. Um, so they just say straight up, the function of intuition is to inform intelligence in your illusion. The unbridled predominance of intuition will tend to keep an entity from the greater polarizations due to the vagaries of intuitive perception. As you may see these two types of brain structure, and they had talked about analytical 
uh, irrational thinking earlier. Uh, these two types of brain structure need to ba be balanced in order that the net sum of experiential catalysts will be polarization and illumination. For without the acceptance by the rational mind of the worth of the intuitive faculty, the creative aspects which aid in illumination will be stifled. And I think that's really important. Intuition aids intelligence, but it's only one component. And so a lot of what we're doing is we're balancing between all these different aspects of mind um, and, you know, recognizing that the emotions and the rationality, those are all parts of the mind that we are trying to keep all sort of like in this kind of configuration where we can do work in consciousness through the illusion that, that, that it's sort of, uh, that feeds back as something useful and uh, that feels like we're growing. Absolutely. And, you know, I think any uh, seeker or many seekers, I would say, you know, have kind of gone through this discernment period where, you know, they maybe try out trying to live um, without the rational mind or very little of the rational mind, more through intuition, maybe a bit of magical thinking. I've certainly tried it out on a small scale. And I noticed that you just... Um, it is interesting in, in some ways, and maybe it can build certain aspects of faith. But in a lot of ways, it, it you know, as Ross says here, that um, in your illusion, unbridled predominance of intuition will keep an entity from the greater polarizations due to the vagarities of intuitive perception. I find that absolutely correct. You kind of, it's almost like, uh, for whatever reason, this reality is designed for you to use intuition with logical, rational thought and for you to use both of them in moving yourself forward and approaching life and catalyst. And if you don't, if you just try to live, you know, magical thinking, shut off your, <laughs> your rational mind. I, I, you know, I find, I see this in myself for this period of time when I did it briefly, but I also see this in other people who have, you know, maybe people who don't read um, the Confederation material as much, maybe people who are, you know, so-called stereotypically more new age, you kind of just see them running their wheels in terms of actual growth and evolution because they're not um, they're relying too much on intuition. So I absolutely think that, you know, how raw cautions against that is absolutely true. And, you know, it's because we'll talk about this later on. But, you know, as defined as we've been defining it, as raw has been defining intuition, it's really um, in a certain sense, things that come from the subconscious which can contain a variety of things, right? They can absolutely, right. abs on the one hand, absolutely. They can contain guidance from the higher self, you know, messages from your guides. Uh, but they distillations also contain- of the, Distillations of the intelligence of those deeper feelings that you have. Exactly. But it could also yeah. contain unprocessed, you know, trauma manifesting as a fear or an attraction. And you might not even realize it. Like you, you know, people who uh, repeat the same patterns with, let's say, um, abusive, uh, significant others, right? You could, they may, they may feel they're following their intuition. And in a certain sense, how we've defined intuition, they are, but the intuition includes all of those things that bubble up that aren't purely from your rational mind. They also include, uh, unlearned lessons from past lives, right? So it includes also unaccepted and undiscovered aspects of the shadow self. And frankly, I was just doing that, uh, this past week, uh, on a very personal level, I was like, you know, why do I have such disgust with this, this, um, with certain things that uh, are unethical? I mean, obviously, everyone probably has uh, distaste of things that are unethical, but 
within us all, there's some things we dislike more than others, right? Of the things that we're not supposed to do. And then I realized, you know, it's because I had greater dislike of that because I hadn't acknowledged the shadow side of myself that was willing at some level uh, or was attracted to that sort of unethical conduct. And so intuition in a lot of, in, a, in, in kind of the way that I think of it and also how Raw has talked about it, it's not necessarily always the quote, correct or right guidance, but it is an attraction um, or it is information. It is information that is not necessarily from the logical mind that's coming up, right? And it doesn't necessarily mean that to follow that, that, that feeling would be the correct outcome. But in a certain sense, it's, um, it's to prompt you to like look into it further with the rational mind and potentially figure out. And, and sometimes, you know, you look at, you have that feeling, you're not sure why uh, you'll try to figure it out with a rational mind. you still can't figure it out. And sometimes you have to follow the, sometimes you end up following that intuition and realize, Oh, it was folly, or maybe it wasn't folly. So I don't think it's necessarily the case that you always can figure out an intuition immediately, even with rational analysis, but just, keep in mind that it's not necessarily always going to lead you to a great outcome, but that's from the small perspective, from the bigger perspective. And I truly believe this, that if you follow your intuition while using rational and logical analysis, even if something terrible happens, ultimately that occurred because of the potential for you to learn from it. And that in a certain sense, that entire process was energized through your intuition because there was potential for transformation there, you know, it's almost like, uh, you know, I, I've not that I'm an expert on shrooms or anything of this nature, but, um, you know, if people are doing it in places that are illegal, you know, I, I'd buy, and they're doing it for personal growth reasons. I often advise them, Hey, if you're using it for spiritual transformation purposes, you need to go in realizing that having a bad experience, quote unquote, having a bad trip might be exactly yeah. what you need and you shouldn't fear. It's basically don't fear the fear, right? Like Dune yep. fear is the mind killer, so to speak. Um, <laughs> like even, and this kind of goes into another aspect of maybe commonly uh, discussed new age philosophy, which is like, Oh, don't have bad thoughts. I think that's horrible, horrible, <laughs> horrible suggestion because it's artificially um, it's artificially suppressing your fears, right? And in order to, in order to deal and process and accept and understand your fears, you have to face them. And I'm not necessarily saying face them in physical reality. Maybe that's an aspect of, but you certainly have to face them in your mind, you know? So whatever, whatever this process uh, is occurring through an intuition of maybe following something that ends up being a disaster, so to speak, I think it's very, very important to not view catalyst or quote wrong decisions as a disaster. We learn far more or we have the potential for far more learning through failure and disaster than we do from success and good outcomes. Unfortunately, that's just the way this is set up here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I think, uh, the reading that we're going to do will put a fine point on the downside of intuition, right? That it is a container that, I think the big thing is that like we, we pick up these biases in our evolution through the, through the creation. And a lot of times because those biases partake of deep feeling, they feel very real and true by, by 
you know, because they feel so real, they feel true. And therefore they're taken maybe uh, without the level of uh, uh, discrimination and discernment that is due them. Uh, And that's, like you said, it's the faith to wait this out, to understand that it's a salutary process, no matter what comes out of it. We're still learning. We're still growing. And I think that faith is a big part of how to work with intuition. In fact, um, you know, that's something that uh, Oxel uh, talked about in a recent Richmond meditation group session. Um, uh, You know, uh, we had a member who asked about uh, how to discern what is kind of like your mental story that you're telling yourself versus what's a deeper intuition that is coming from a lower area, something that's maybe a little bit deeper down in the mind. And, you know, the first thing that Oxal says is, you know, we struggle a tiny bit to understand the distinction between those two things. Um, you know, uh, that we're the ones that, uh, by creating these definitions, can tease out these different sectors of the mind and then sort of play them off against each other in order to understand ourselves better. Um, but I think those distinctions are very, I think what Oxo says is these distinctions are very opaque to us. Um, and uh, they, do they say something about intuitive? You're, they talk about the imagination connecting your conscious concept of self with your deeper intuitive emotions and feeling qualities. So this is more about imagination than intuition per se. But there's, it, there is this concept that... Um, the intuition is wrapped up in emotions or connected to emotions, but it's like the deeper intelligence of those emotions. Um, and I think, uh, I think even uh, Kuo says this in a November 26, 1989 session. Previously, we had established that in truth, although the intellect is highly regarded within your culture, it is nonetheless not as intelligent a portion of the mind as the deeper intuitions, what some might call gut instinct and others call the prompting of the still small voice within the higher self guidance or by whatever name an entity chooses to relate itself to a wider, wiser intelligence. This intelligence is emotion. Um, they go on to say, we established that the surface emotions of life having to do with being caught in traffic, being late, having to wait, feeling negative emotions, feeling quick, positive emotions with no depth is the province is the province of the mundane. We do not suggest that you follow each whim, each thought, each impulse. There, there, there is that clear uh, warning against just treating the intuition as a magic eight ball, right? Yeah. Uh, instead, and- we we suggest rather the trust in the process of seeking within for the truth, which will set you free, though it may not set another free. Each of you is unique, and the emotions that are your deeper intelligence are unique to you. Their balance is unique to you, and the fruit of that balance in service is unique to you. Thus, we have established a great deal established a great deal of respect for the intuition and emotion that is the essence of intelligence. Absolutely, and this kind of a uh, touches upon what I was talking about earlier, and I, and I just want to reiterate this because I I don't think it can be understated. Um, I think for a lot of people. There's this, there's this idea, it's almost like, I don't know where it comes from. Maybe it comes from modern day culture, uh, an understanding of spirituality and enlightenment. But there's just almost like this belief that 
when, once you start being spiritual, you know, you'll start automatically making right decisions. And in a lot of ways, your spirituality will be shown through automatically you making better decisions in your daily life. And yep. that's a small aspect of it, but really it's almost the way that it's presented spirituality is almost a form of spiritual bypassing. It's like, I feel like I've heard this before, just get in touch with your intuition, you know, do the spiritual practice, get in touch with your intuition and you'll be making the right decisions. And I really see that as a form of spiritual bypassing. What I see spirituality is and doing the work is, is that in a lot of ways you start to learn ways to integrate portions of yourself that you did not have access to so that you can learn in a, you can learn from your mistakes more comprehensively. Not that you're not going to make your mistakes, but now that you understand what the shadow self is and you're starting to work with it, now that you understand your your intuition and being more in touch with what your intuition is saying, doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes. It just means that these spiritual resources, once you learn to develop and harness them, you're able to learn much more effectively from each and every mistake you make. You're still going to make a ton of mistakes, you know? maybe a little bit less than if you hadn't access these resources, because if you hadn't access these resources, it's very difficult to sometimes get to the underlying core concepts that uh, create this catalyst. But the bottom line is, let's say you, you finish listening to this podcast, you do your own meditations. You're like, yeah, I'm much more in touch with intuition. Don't think that you won't make mistakes and don't say, Oh, you know, I've been following my intuition and balancing with my logical mind. I'm still making mistakes. So, this is this clearly isn't working. That's not how it works. The true feedback mechanism is how quickly you're learning and bouncing back from those mistakes. Not that you're just not making those. It's okay to follow your logical thought and, and, and intuition and still make a mistake. That's unfortunately completely expected. Now, if you're making the exact same mistake over and over again, maybe there's something you're, you truly are missing. But it's more about, I think in a lot of ways, the spiritual practice is more about being able to learn from your mistakes as opposed to not making them, you know? Yeah. I, I, I might also uh, suggest that what level we're learning at may or may not be immediately available to our waking consciousness, right? Because we are like incarnation brings like a little piece of us into this, like a, like, like it's a little part of our overall totality that is dipping into this like veiled illusory experience. And so like what counts as succeeding or learning uh, may not look like success or learning from the point of view of the culture or even, even those things that you uh, believe about yourself, you know, setting aside whether or not you care what others think like it for on your own terms. Uh, like I often wonder if like life and incarnate awareness is kind of like it works in this uh, evolutionary capacity in spite of itself. In other words, we have our kind of earthly desires, our earthly goals, for example, our career goals are, you know, desires to to grow and learn there and like we learn and serve the creator whether or not any of those goals ever actually pan out Absolutely. now 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 the, the 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 part of that it's tough to balance is the idea that even though we are uh recognizing this larger self we don't have that immediate access that we do to the personality that's here in incarnation. And so that person personality here in incarnation is kind of stuck with, you know, 
whatever uh, l- whatever kind of learning uh, and however that learning precipitates into our lives in good and bad ways, right? What we consider to be good and bad. Um, this, I think, is where faith comes in, as you brought up earlier. Uh, faith is this ability to kind of like recognize the goodness inherent in all of this. Uh, I think in a in a past confederation channeling, uh, it was explained that uh, in in faith and patience, you're kind of partic- you're, you're partaking of that greater logoic awareness that oversees the entire evolutionary plan, and you're dipping into a little bit of that patience and faith and uh, ability to wait for the overview instead of demanding in an impatient way that every single second of life uh, validate and comfort you. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I don't think we can put off uh, getting into this Lalima session any longer, even if we tried. Um, mm-hmm. So let's just jump right in. I, I don't know if we'll read the whole thing. Uh, I'll try to make it quick because I know that we don't want to take a terribly long time here. Uh, but the main event, <laughs> the main reading for today is uh, from an entity that made contact with the LO Research Group uh, uh, quite a few times in the mid-80s after the raw contact was done um, and kind of drifted away from being a frequent contact once Kuo became the predominant contact. Uh so I think Kuo was first in 86. I think Lalima was first in 85, if I'm not mistaken. And this is a 86 uh, session. Um, I think I've talked before about how much I think 1986 is a seminal year for LL Research and their uh, contact with the Confederation. This session in particular is May 18th, 1986. And uh, it's all about intuition and analysis or intuition and the intellect. Um, so let's just, I think I have to start at the beginning here because they come in really strong right up from the outset. Um, so let's, let's start. I am Lalima and I greet you in the love and in the light of the one infinite creator. We greet each of you with great affection and thank you for calling us to your group this evening for it is your service to us to allow us to share our humble thoughts with you. And yet you must know in some degree, we too are channels and we pray as does this, this instrument that our words may have not only the meager understanding of our experience, but the inspiration of those who are our teachers as well. For are we not all channels of the one infinite creator? And as we speak, do not we listen? And as you listen, does your heart not speak? We ask you these questions because the question has been asked of us. What is the place of analytical thought? upon the spiritual path of seeking the truth. Let me just stop right there because I love any time that an entity that's being channeled says, no, actually we're channels too. (laughs) We're actually bringing through higher stuff from relative to our position in the creation uh, to try and bring down to your level. And then you're going to do that in your life in incarnation. You're going to take this energy and this truth and love and you're going to find ways through your actions and through your beingness to 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 break off little pieces to give to others. That's what I try to do every day. Yeah, I think I think we all try to do it and I think it's just a matter of getting more and more in tune and in faith with the fact that we are all doing it. 
we may not recognize it. It may not, uh, it may not gratify us. It may not be easily validated, but it is going on there. So to continue, Lalima says, the intellectual mind and the intuitive mind are two sides of the same coin. Analysis is a form of speaking, intuition, a form of listening. And yet when one is listening, does one not also have ears? And when one listens intuitively, does one not hear the voice of silence? So right here, we see Lalima making an almost uh, polarized or archetypal uh, association. Uh, Analysis is more male, active, speaking. Intuition is more unconscious, feminine, listening. And the point being, like in all archetypal things, especially when they involve gender and sexuality, we have both of them inside of us. <laughs> like, yes. The, the, and like we need to do both. People who are very, very intuitive and, and, and take in these impressions from the deeper psyche, they need analytics in order to be able to like have that deeper uh, feeling inform something. They can do something with it, right? Uh, and those of us who are super analytical, we need to like, you know, calm down sometimes and recognize that we don't have to think everything into existence. Sometimes there's, there's things that are already there that are just waiting for us to like stop talking and listen. Absolutely. Uh, you know, sometimes when I have a, a stronger intuition, I just try to do like a, a basic check, like, okay. How, how, how much damage would I suffer in exploring this? Just a logical <laughs> check. And if it's not too bad, I'm like, all right, let's, let's follow it for now and see how, where it goes. Right. So yeah, yeah I, I definitely think it's a balance and sometimes, um, intuition is, is listening, but really there's a part of you, a non-logical part of you that is speaking so you can listen. Right. So it's a very interesting dynamic. Um, and, and I think it's a great uh, kind of um, polarity they talk about speaking versus listening because yeah, the reverse is also true. And I think the raw kind of uh, archetypes of the mind kind of uh, talk about this as well. If the logical mind, if your logical mind um, very strongly desires something and you decide you're just going to make it happen, there is, uh, I guess, a uh, reception of that strong desire. And it's not just strong desire. Typically, I would say a strong desire and you're putting into action, you're putting in the daily work, whatever, the weekly work to try to create whatever you're purely logically um, thinking about. Then in a certain sense, it, it almost adds, I feel it adds to the to um, the subconscious, right? It uh, It's almost like your, your analysis is speaking, your logical mind is speaking, and then there's some deeper part of you that is also listening, right? That's the kind of potentiator of the mind, so to speak, and it, and it colors kind of what comes next, so to speak, right? It, it, it's funny because I, this is something I've been thinking about. Why did we go in past octaves from mind, body, spirits to this idea of mind, body, spirit complex? And I think one hint of why is what you just described. So that this work that's going on within the mind, body, spirit complex, because it is complex and it has these distinct areas that have you know, their own natures, their own sort of resources within the greater resource of mind uh, can have better articulation. And therefore, this communication that occurs within the mind among these different sectors is also more articulated, right? Yeah, it's almost like 
so the way I see why perhaps there's a mind body spirit complex or the need for the veil or the reason the veil is kind of there is that I think it allows in a certain sense, the, the freer exercise of free will, you know, because oh, I, yeah. cause Rod discusses before the veil surface self, maybe that pathway was there, but it was never taken because it was readily apparent. All was the creator, the self and the other. So it's like, okay, you're obviously picking something that doesn't make any sense. Like, and that and that the truth the falsity of what you're picking the service itself without a veil is like right in front of your face so you you can't mm-hmm. even ignore it whereas with the veil you're you're allowed to ignore um that truth you know it, you don't have to face it and so it's easier to kind of build up um through free will a different chosen perspective of how reality works and then within that microcosm for as far as that service itself path will take you, you know, they, I think they say early sixth density and no further uh, up until now, at least. And explore that and explore things that maybe creation would have never explored without um, putting blinders on, so to speak. Right. Yep. Yeah. Um, in, in both Ra and Kuo in different uh, uh, sessions, uh, both say that, what we consider to be free will behind the veil is a kind of extension of free will in further into the illusion than it otherwise was before there is this polarity of mover and moved, which is also free will in the sense that you have a completely uh, lucid and conscious creator manipulating the creation, the extension of free will into that thing that was once just the moved like there's a there's a quote that talks about uh, how this was a was a creation of a new dimension of polarity um, that couldn't obtain. It was kind of an extension of the mover into the moved, so that there is this new polarity that was brought out, kind of like an inverse um, uh, 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 dialectical process of you know synthesis, antithesis, thesis, kind of thing. Oh my God, I'm butchering this. No, no. And, 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 <laughs> and just, it's even just everyday concepts that we take for granted in, in our reality would not exist, but for the veil, right? Like, so before yep. the veil, you could, even in third density, you could um, see all the creator and then, you know, obviously be aware of other people's thoughts and intentions. So the concept of trust, it, it doesn't exist because you don't, there's nothing to verify. You know their intention. Now, maybe you'd have a, a watered down version of, uh, even if they intended to do something, it was their capability, mm-hmm. their prowess, you know, because if they wanted to build a tower, but they had no skills in building, you, you trust their intention, but you would maybe not right. believe their prowess or capability in building it. But the idea of trust wouldn't exist if you don't have a veil, because if you could read everyone's thoughts and see everything clearly, that concept doesn't exist. So there's a lot of concepts that only exist because of the veil and allow people to, once you have the idea of trust, you have to make a free will decision with imperfect information. Am I going to trust this person? Am I going to go on a limb? Am I going to, you know, and especially in matters of the heart, am I going to allow my myself to potentially get hurt at the green ray, become vulnerable? So it, it adds in a lot of um, uncertainty and free will uh, and, and really to a certain extent faith in yep. things making sense, even if they, even if you don't know for sure that they do make sense. Yep. Yep. It's like we're learning how to, with our, with a blindfold on, do a trust fall with our greater self and right. knowing that uh, the deeper parts of ourselves will, will catch us even though we feel like we're falling, you know? And, and maybe we do, you know, in this reality hit the ground and it's painful, but 
ultimately all is well. And I, you know, I think we've discussed this in the past for those who are familiar with the raw quote or the raw situation really where um, <laughs> Carlo was almost being displaced into fifth density, uh, fifth density, negative time space. Right. Yeah. And like, I don't know uh, if it was fifth density per se, but I know that it was time space and it was by fifth density, negative, negative, ne- okay. exactly. negative time space. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think like, Right after it happened, like literally after like a few comments as to what was going on, Ra's like, hey, but still, even if that happened, even if she was displaced into negative time space, she would find her way back yeah. to the creator, implying like in millions of years, eventually, and all is still well. So it's, it would all be well in the end. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a very different perspective. It's a very long view. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> you know, it's all it's all a lot of our exercise of the potential that we hold as co-creators in my view. And I think um, Confederation sources are, are underlining this has to do with that ability to shift perspective, that it's the way we look at it that creates a different kind of subjectivity and then a different, and then that also changes how we perceive the object of our, of our gaze. And so the whole game changes because we change. Right. All right. Let's stop digressing. <laughs> Because we're never gonna get, we're never gonna meet your uh, your deadline here. I mean, I I, I have uh, you know ten more minutes or something. All right, we're all still, right. still pretty good. Continuing, Lalima says, "We shall not overgeneralize and say to you that it is impossible to reach a significant degree of, shall we say, enlightenment, or for want of a better word, through the singular pursuit of either course." However, it is safe to say that a total dependence upon either the intellect or the intuition leaves one open to the imbalance that might come to one in the physical body standing on one foot. Each entity who seeks has a unique character and therefore a unique way of approaching knowledge. Now, we caution you that knowledge is a word which is constantly misused by us and by anyone who speaks of spiritual knowledge, just as it is only with regret that we use the term enlightenment. However, we use these terms because in your intellectually based society, progress is measured by units of knowledge or degrees of enlightenment. It is our opinion that this method of measuring the walk upon the spiritual, the path of spiritual unfoldment is vastly incorrect and without virtue. This is perhaps the single greatest difficulty with an overdependence upon the intellect for the presence of the creator is an experience, not a knowledge. It cannot be gainsaid that there is such a thing as the consciousness of the creator, nor yet would we deny in any way that you may attain it. We would not even deny that practicing this precedence, in other words, awaiting the experience, is repetitive and may indeed seem to improve with repetition. However, the creator is always the same, is the singular, is the simple, and is not to be learned by degree, by method, or by rote. I wanted to lump all three of those paragraphs in because they seem to be of one kind of uh, flow. Uh, You see uh, this idea that, uh, you know, like we were talking about, all of this exercise of intellect, intuition, what have you, is in the service of, you know, what, what we clumsily call enlightenment or becoming closer to the creator, becoming more and more uh, our unique part of that creator and having faith in our, in our power and our will to be able to, to do what it needs to be done and to be what we need to be. Um, 
however, they say, you know, hey, if you focus too much on uh, aligning with the intellect or aligning with uh, uh, intuition or anything, you're going to be off balance. You need all of these things. And um, you're not going to be able to judge where that balance is necessarily uh, merely uh, by trying to uh, take your spiritual temperature, as they often say, you know. Uh, progress is measured by units of knowledge or degrees of enlightenment. Well, so much the worse for those units, right? Like <laughs> th- those are conveniences that uh, we use to kind of like mark our height, you know, on on the wall as we grow. But that's more uh, that 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 doesn't really have a lot of deep meaning in it. And they even say it's without virtue. Um, and uh, they begin by trying to explain how overemphasizing the intellect uh, creates this idea that uh, this is all just a big puzzle to be worked out, right? That spiritual evolution is like this big math problem that we just need to solve for X. Um, and this, this, this thing they say at the end where they say the creator is not to be learned by degree, by method, or by rote. I think it's very important for us to understand that we're not going to big brain this. We're not going to figure it out in a lot of ways. What we're doing when we talk about transformation and growth is we're letting things fall away. We're actually not accruing things. We're actually getting rid of things that are standing in the way of this light and this love coming into us. And so I think, I think that, I think it's very true that we might learn about our own distortions and our own sort of distorted personality by degree, by method, or especially by rote. I think evolution is largely working by rote, um, but that isn't the same thing as saying that that's what the creator's nature is. That is an aspect of the creator cast into, into incarnation, cast into manifestation, and having a very particular experience to yield a very particular result. But the creator in its uh, unified magnificence and its glory and totality that's not the experience of the creator. The experience of the creator is this much vaster, much more mysterious element, right? Agree. And you know, when they say that um, this discussion of balance between the intellect and the in- intuition, um, I, at least from my personal journey, I just want to comment how those two aspects were something I looked into deeply when I first became spiritual, but after, you know, doing some self-work and processing things through a spiritual lens, for me, I became, uh, for my journey and maybe for others, I feel like there's a reason we incarnate physically. And really, the three prongs, I would say, of, of very useful exploration is the intellect, the intuition, and action. There's something about physical action that is... That there, it's not just a feedback loop between intuition and intellect. There's something about physical incarnation and action within it, and not just being a passive receiver of things that happen to you, but actually, like, I understand why, you know, for many people, when we first become spiritual, we sit and meditate and maybe go and have a monk-like existence for a few years because there's so much unprocessed stuff. But there's something essential to actually getting out there in the world and taking action, I feel like. Now, I understand that, um, you know, there's some Hindu um, mystical practices where 
people will live out by themselves in the mountains for years. Um, and maybe that's something separate. Maybe they're processing stuff from previous lives. But I feel even monks and friars and, and you know nuns, they live in groups. And whenever you're living in a group with other people, there's physical action, interaction. There's something essential about not just intellect and intuition, but action taken um, based upon that, you know? Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Uh, I, I tend to think of manifestation and the role of the body in the plane of manifestation as kind of a inflection point for the, the, you know, what, 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 what Ra said that first excerpt we read is that the mind is kind of a mediator between the influx of spirit and the influx from below of, um, of the body. So it's sitting here kind of like trying to make sense of all of these signals coming at it. Right. And so while spirit is, is connected, uh, most to the, um, to intelligent infinity and the vastness of infinity, uh, manifestation has a very discreet sort of like, um, it, it has a, it has a discreteness to it. In other words, it's like the, our, our mental energies go into manifestation as bodily actions. And then they hit up against things. They don't just keep going forever the way that like you could go forever into uh, intelligent infinity. It's after all infinite. The, the, the whole idea of manifestation seems to be a backboard against which these incoming energies uh, reflect and come back. And there's something about that that's always going to have a kind of uh, visceralness to it. It's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna be clanging and clashing, right? It's gonna be, it's gonna be material, uh, and it, and it, 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 it has uh, with built within it uh, the whole drama of things being of consequence in the sense that you know in manifestation A and B are possible, but at the end of the day, either A is going to happen or B is going to happen. You can't have both of them happen. I mean, I know quantum physics, we're seeing that that's really just a matter of deeper metaphysical principles, but, but generally speaking, in our experience of choice, the whole point of choice is that you can't have it both. You have to choose. And then that templates further evolution, further growth in a way that if you had chosen differently, that would template it in a different way. And that seems to really matter. And I think your last point there about choice and templates kind of reality in a certain way it um i think you summed up what i was trying to say in that sometimes by you making an overt conscious decision with a logical mind you end up templating what comes out next through your intuition based on that choice you know yes because it's almost like you've made a free will decision to explore something right and this occurs for a lot of things um Certainly, I think it occurs for when you're making, you know, all of the, the choice service to self or service to others typically is made at a subconscious level before you start consciously making it. You know, Rod does talk about that you can flip polarities. And so as an example, this is probably a bad example because people don't like to, aren't really, I think, fully comfortable with the idea of service to self, right? But if you were to truly make um, a decision such as switching polarities consciously, that would template what starts to come out of your unconscious, your, your subconscious mind and would be reflected in your intuition to a certain degree. Right. Yeah. This is something that we're about to get to in Lalima's, uh, uh, remarks, um, 
where they say you are consciousness and that consciousness creates, it has created this moment for you by the work it has done in the past. It will create what you call your future as the work that you are doing at this moment comes into manifestation, right? Like that's what this means. Like that's what it means to be in space time. In time space, it's completely different, right? The consequentiality of things is 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 sort of like rotated ninety degrees. Um, I don't want to get into that though. I would rather uh, start getting into Lalima's thoughts on intuition, shall we? Yeah, especially like the next uh, bullet point you have in your here in your notes that analysis can dislodge baseless fears. Do you want to comment on that, or I, I'd certainly have some things I can say on that one. Yeah, you're talking about much comes through the intuition, which is of extreme merit. Much occurs by seeming intuition, which is in fact a product of deep fears, experiences from previous incarnations, which have not been worked out, and the phantasmagoria of static, shall we say as if you were between radio stations, as this instrument would call them, and we're picking up no clear signal, but a babble of varying messages. Messages. That's not quite it, is it? It, it little, it, it kind of is. Um, I mean, I was pointing to your kind of, here, I'll bold it. But yeah. so, you know, I think when they're saying that through the intuition, there can you can be in between radio stations. This is what I've personally experienced, is that, you know, sometimes when you do the work and you become a more and more clear vessel for the creator's love, you will still have fears and doubts. And some of those will be related to your inner, your own stuff, right? But the more and more you become clear, you'll, you'll notice that sometimes, especially if you're close to someone, um, but sometimes even just a friend, right? Someone or someone you're just having a deep, deep conversation with, you will have, you will start to share their, you will feel their fears and emotions sometimes within you during that conversation. And, the use of the logical mind can be very useful in understanding, oh, I'm actually picking this up from them. Yeah. Now, obviously, or maybe not so obvious, if you're picking it up from them, there is a small resonance within you for certain. But a lot of times, for example, if you're surrounded by people who are paranoid, who are paranoid about something, like let's say you're living in a house or roommates where they're all paranoid about something. Um, and now, if you have no paranoia whatsoever, you, you, know, you won't feel it. But if you have 1% paranoia, their paranoia might might uh, turn your one percent into like feeling like oh I'm I'm ninety percent paranoid right now when really you're just kind of picking up their amplified uh, energy and beliefs and fears and so sometimes being able to analyze hey wh what's going on do I real is this fear really logical for me does it make sense Were, was I in a space with other people was I listening to a lot of uh, if you're sent, some people are sensitive to what's on the news, right? Was I listening to a lot of stuff, fearful stuff on the news? What was amplifying this with, uh, within me? Because sometimes what's come through your intuition is something that's been amplified by something that's not purely within you, right? Um, that's been amplified by your loved ones. Well, yeah. Like, I mean, maybe the way that I would say it is that it's all within you, but the question is, is it balanced? Right. If it's not balanced within you, then you'll be triggered by their imbalance. Exactly. Exactly. And so I've noticed that sometimes, and you, you shouldn't disregard the catalyst regardless, but sometimes if you don't apply that analysis, you'll sometimes spin your wheels a little bit because if you fully, if for me at least, the techniques for looking into catalyst that is purely one's own versus the catalyst that is partially one's own but is amplified by others is a little bit mm -hmm. different. They're a little mm -hmm. bit it's a little bit different process for sure. me. So it's, it's sometimes useful to kind of uh, realize that. You, and sometimes you, you'll go into 
Um, and sometimes you'll just pick up feelings from other people who you might not even share, right? Like it might not be a catalyst per se, but you just feel what they're, what they're feeling sometimes. Um, I, I don't know the best, like maybe it's a certain sort of empathy that you can feel, right? And sometimes you can mistake without, unless you use the logical mind, you might mistake your empathetic reaction as to, oh, this is all your own catalyst, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the analytical mind, uh, like much of what I consider to be the function of mind in the larger mind by spirit complex is designed to structure and create boundaries, distinctions, and limitations in concepts. So there are discrete things that can be related to other things instead of them just being sort of like a big mass of, of a, a big spectrum in which there's no, there's no way to tell where black ends and white begins. You know what I mean? And let me ask you another question here. Cause um, you know, I've, I've had this question before, and I don't know if I ever got a fully satisfactory answer to it, but when you're extremely sleep deprived, and let's throw in, um, you're you haven't been eating in days, whatever, like you're really being pushed to limits, um, maybe a little bit of dehydration in there. The body's in extreme distress, right? Red ray, you'd probably call it red ray catalyst, but you'll start getting thoughts, right? That that won't just be about eating, sleeping, or drinking water. You'll get thoughts about your life. Like you'll get, you'll have this weird catalyst. Like probably the cleanest example is if you, if you don't sleep at all at night, you'll notice yourself getting annoyed at things that you never would have gotten annoyed at. Now, maybe you can say there's still like that 0.5% trigger within you, but there's some sort of feedback mechanism where, you know, as you talked about that the mind is kind of the arbiter of influxes from both the spirit and the body there's something that happens to the mind when the body's in extreme distress and it doesn't always manifest as, Oh, I'm just sleepy. I need, I want to sleep. Sometimes you'll get upset about something you never would have gotten upset about. So what are your thoughts on what's happening from the lens of the analytical mind and intuition and what the body is going through in a case of like, let's say you stayed up and there's, it's not just personal experience. We, there's documented um, cases where they may, they had people stay up for two or three days and they started becoming like schizophrenic and stuff like that. So there's something that happens. And what do you think uh, that is? I think it, I think uh, if we want to be really simple about it, it is new dimensions of knowing and accepting yourself, right? Because how do you know yourself when you're sleep deprived? Right. Well, that's, you don't have all of your resources available to analyze that and you hardly can trust your feelings. Right. I mean, you start seeing shadow people and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. So, so the idea is that um, when you're in that sort of degraded place, uh, you have to accept that you're not going to be the same person that you were before. And maybe that means that you don't drive or maybe you don't pick that moment to talk about all of your grievances with your spouse <laughs> or stuff like that. You see what I mean? Like, yeah, like yeah. there's, there's like, Maybe, maybe it was decision you made to be sleep deprived. Maybe it wasn't, but either way, like there are limitations that are exposed by that. There may also be strengths, right? Like you may be able to see some things really clearly. You may not be able to communicate them or you may be able to communicate clearly, but you're saying gibberish, you know, like you're, you're communicating your own confusion clearly. 
Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> like maybe there's so many options. Maybe it's just a, a, a basic lack of acceptance in house. Those things, not eating, not sleeping, not having enough water affect your mind. And then it begins to project a little bit on these other reasons, which aren't a big deal initially, but they become big deals. Right. Right. Anyway. <sighs> okay. So let's jump into intuition with Lalima. They say, let us then swim into the sea of intuition. My friends, you will find that total dependence upon intuition is a total dependence upon a portion of your deep self, which is unreliable. Much comes through the intuition, which is of extreme merit. Much occurs by seeming intuition, which is in fact the product of deep fears, experiences from previous incarnations, which have not been worked out, and the phantasmagoria of static, shall we say, as if you were between radio stations, as this instrument would call them, and were picking up no clear signal but a babble of varying messages. So you see that the mind is to be taken as a whole thing, and not split, for the intellect and the intuition are both portions of the mind. You are not your mind. Your mind is a kind of information processor, which works for you as a tool. It is well to understand that the mind has great value in your seeking. It is well to balance your seeking, not shutting out the loud voice of intellect when it offers you new ideas, new questions, new waves of skepticism. It is wise to listen to your intuition, to quiet yourself, so that you may feel and be in a more whole and entire sense. For the heart of yourself is being, not thinking, not feeling, but being. You are consciousness, and that consciousness creates. It has created this moment for you by the work it has done in the past. It will create what you call your future as the work that you are doing at this moment comes into manifestation. The tool of intuition is one which may be applied by the remembering and recording of your dreams and visions, by the listening to what this instrument would call the still small voice, the voice that says, this is good. This is not so good. This feels right. This does not feel right. An intuitive person often has no verbalized reason for these feelings. It is always well to recognize them and to give them respect. It is also well to use the tool of the intellect insofar as that skill is a portion of your native character. For the intellect can analyze dreams and visions, can examine thoughts, and find from them the harvest of love therein, can temper the feelings of should and could and yes and no, with sometimes an encouraging and sometimes a cautionary analysis of those intuitions. Many a baseless fear has been removed because of the work of the analytical portion of the mind. And I think that's the, 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 the thing you were talking about in the notes, right? Right. Yeah. So like this idea that like, don't trust intuitions 100%, but also don't trust intellect 100%. These things are part of a complex and they work at best when they are working in tandem with respect for the strengths and weaknesses of each of them. And um, I think that's the gist of it. Yeah. And, you know, I think for, for seekers who are, um, I guess, more experimental and willing to trust themselves, I think that sometimes in order to find this balance, any balance, frankly, um, but, you know, the balance between intellect and intuition, sometimes, you know, you want to experience the pendulum swinging, like you choose to do it. Now, obviously do it in a safe manner, I would say, depending on the nature of catalyst you want to experience. But you know, maybe you feel really drawn to the idea of just trying out to you're living your life on pure intuition for like a week or a month 
for everything but the, the most major decisions. And if you're drawn to that, um, you know, I think just keep in mind that the the uh, the purpose of all this is to find that balance, but that sometimes you might feel drawn to the idea of maybe you've been too logical all your life and you've had a lot of bad stuff happen because of it, or maybe you've been too intuitive all your life and you, you, you know, you've had a lot of bad stuff happen, got your heart broken, whatever, because you weren't using your logical mind to just look at those red flags. And maybe you need to experience <laughs> the pendulum swinging to the other way where you just need to see uh, what it's like to just go hundred percent the other way. But the idea is that the, the outcome of whatever you're experimenting with is to achieve that balance. Right. But sometimes, yep. sometimes we like to spiritually bypass and we're like, Oh, the answer is balance. I'm just going to be balanced. Sometimes you have to explore a yeah. little bit of the pendulum. What, what do they say? What do those of Ross say is the mechanism of balance? Accentuating imbalance is how we get to balance, right? Right. Going on these extremes is how we find the golden mean. And, you know, they do say try to keep it consonant with the law of one, unless it's purely a thought experiment. But um, one other thing I really wanted to mention, you uh, uh, read this quote, but I think it's very important from, from multiple perspectives here. It is well to balance your seeking. And not to shut out the loud voice of intellect that when it offers you new ideas, new questions, new waves of skepticism, the new waves of skepticism is so important. Um, you know, I've, uh, we, I've spoken to my friends about this and we might've spoken, but it is so essential for truly building faith to always have and respect your doubt. You can't yep. come to true faith by ignoring and suppressing your doubt. 100%. You have to have both of them and genuinely and, and, and you might not come to this experience quickly, but you have to have, you have to entertain both your, your, um, your doubt and your faith. And at some point, if you truly keep exploring, you will naturally choose your faith. And maybe not every time. It's not always going to be, oh, I'm choosing to, you know, be in faith. Sometimes you'll choose a doubt, but the process of living more and more in faith is to have that concept and be willing to entertain it because that's the only way you come to true faith is by having truly entertain your doubt and still it, choosing faith. In, a, in other words, it sounds like whether we choose the tool of analysis and intellect or intuition and feeling, those aren't the real thing, the real quality, the real capacity that we're aiming for. And I wonder if Lalima will address that. Let's find out. <laughs> they say, however, neither analysis nor intuition can offer the heart of seeking. For the heart of seeking is found in that fathomless portion of yourself, which seeks and wills to know, and has the faith that there is something to know. These things are gifts. The mind has been earned. It is a product of many, many incarnations, and it reflects your biases. Neither intellect nor intuition often reach deep enough to uncover faith and will. So turn then from the consideration of clear minds and clear intuition long enough to gaze at the mystery of the new moon. You have the will to seek. And what do you seek? Many would say truth. Many would say love. Many would say the creator. We say to you, there are no words for the creator is mystery, infinite and invisible. It cannot be reached by analysis. It cannot be sounded through intuition. It is closer to you than that. For you are that which the creator is, the one original thought. That one great original and creative thought is something that we can find no word for, 
but love in your language. You are that consciousness that is love. The consciousness that you seek in knowing the creator is love. You are what you seek and you seek what you are. What you are doing and seeking is remembering and recapturing that which you knew before anything that is visible was created, for you are old. You are as old as this creation, and you shall continue until its end, when at last you have reached not only the presence of the consciousness of love, but that consciousness itself in such totality that you no longer feel the need for individuality. My friends, we have learned more, experienced more, and been exposed to more than you and our yearning is just as strong. We seek our source. The tools of analysis and intuition, the tools of mind, are helpful, but the driving force that leads step by step, day by day in incarnation by incarnation, and density by density back to the one infinite creator, are faith and the will, driven by faith to walk that path. Okay. I know that was a long passage, but it really was of one piece, because I think one of the things that Lalima is saying that's a real novel point in this particular session is that uh, we are working with intuition. We are working with analysis and intellect, these two forces that seem to be opposed, but they actually have this higher expression that we're aiming for, that as, the, as the, the, these two coarser tools burnish our gem and polish it, we start to see that the higher instance of each of them is will and faith. I don't know if they're like one-to-one mappings. That's kind of like the first thing that came to mind. That might be a little bit too simple. But the idea is that with, with, with will, we have that uh, audacity to, to, to sort of throw ourselves into the creation to see what comes out with, with a, a kind of fearless sense of discovery. And with faith, we have, we have the knowledge that all will be well, and therefore we can allow for temporary discomforts and temporary confusions, knowing that in the end, it's all going to be that much more informative for us and for the creator. No, I love the way you put that, um, this idea of, you know, maybe I would word it in that, you know, at, at the everyday level, sometimes before you, maybe you've started to experience these concepts of faith and will. Your, your, your main motivations might be logical thought, might be um, intuition. And, you know, those are both interrelated with emotions. Yeah. But the more you walk this path, and I, I find it to be absolutely true, the motivation for you to do anything, uh, especially anything big and significant in your life, but really many things, is the faith and will uh, of, of being an instrument of, of the creator's will, right, to a certain extent. It's, um, yep. I don't know how, these are very difficult concepts to put into words because, you know, they exist out there <laughs> and we're trying to bring them in to physical reality. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's reflected in the Tarot archetypes, you know, that Ra talks about. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting is, is that, you know, faith and will are, you know, in the latter portion of the mind cycle. You know, it's kind of understood that it's uh, so it's kind of this um, progression, as you mentioned, of, uh, you know, going from it's maybe it's I don't think it is a one to one, but it is kind of a, uh, a transformation in kind of how you approach your reality. Yeah. Yeah. Like we come by faith and will honestly 
through suffering, through yeah. through catalyst, through uh, the the shallowness that enjoyment and comfort uh, ends up yielding, right? Like, and then we learn the hard way. It seems like, but the hard way is the way that actually brings it most poignantly and most intensely to the creator as a gift, right? A gift of our foray into separation that we can bring back. Um, and, uh, I would, I would point the listener to the fourth channeling intensive of the other selves working group, uh, perhaps session 10, if you want to know more about how that individuality, uh, serves the creator across, uh, octaves, uh, some really interesting stuff there. Anyway, let's, uh, we got two more paragraphs and we can close this out. Um, oh, and one more thing. Um, there is a podcast called the building forth podcast, and they just did a two parter on will and faith that I thought it just came out like in the last 24 hours and it's too, it's too convenient of timing. So if you want to see another aspect on all of this, I encourage you to listen to, uh, uh, the building forth podcast. I'll put a link in the show notes. In any case, Lalima concludes. We encourage each of you to find, ask for, and seek the grace to acknowledge within yourself the divinity of the consciousness of love within you, to seat that consciousness through meditation, and so become a channel for that love, which is the one great original thought. There is no portion of your mind, nor any portion of your experience that will be enable you to continue seeking or to continue manifesting love. The seeking is too wearing. And without the strengthening of love itself, found in the silence of meditation, the feet drag upon the path. And one finds a stone which looks to the eye of the dusty traveler more comfortable than the road. One sits down and one pauses and the will fails. Boy, that's kind of where I'm at. <laughs> it's it, it, and like the other thing that uh, that from the from the passage before is to understand that all of this is occurring in a grand mystery that we don't understand. So like, it's like, I, I get a lot of direction that says that it's okay to sit down. If that mystery just seems too, too, uh, totalizing at the moment and too much to handle. Um, but it is a failure of will. It is a failure of the will to drive forward. I think that's good because we need to balance that will. Right. Well, you're not going to go from zero to a hundred immediately. It's a process of of building up you know, these concepts within yourself. Exactly. That patience of the logos is uh, uh, slow evolution of things into, into manifestation rather than just wanting the ideal yeah. right now. Like if you wanted that, you should have stayed in time space and the, <laughs> exactly. you know, the, the higher planes in any case, last paragraph. Okay. One sits down and one pauses and the will fails. And so it is with manifestation. If one works from one's human resources in this illusion of yours, my friends, you are limited and you can only love so much. You can only give so much. You can only bear so much fruit. Therefore, seek to enrich faith and will that you may become instruments through which the infinite supply of love can come to you and through you that you may realize at last that you stand already upon holy ground and dwell in the consciousness and presence of the creator. And that's pretty much it for the main monologue from La Lima. I'm glad that we were able to get through all of that because I think that last part where it says, hey, the will will sometimes fail. Faith will sometimes give out because that's 
what we expect in manifestation. That's precisely what manifestation, what work manifestation is doing for you as a consciousness, as a portion of the creator. Absolutely. Um, yeah, this is a great session and I'm hoping that we can, uh, you know, do, uh, uh, I want to, I want to sample from the whole history of, uh, confederation channeling. Um, I don't want to just focus all the time on certain portions, not on others. So I'm glad that every once in a while we can dip back into, I mean, man, this is almost 50 years hence, isn't it? Wow. Yeah. Or, well, 40, but yeah, still 40. Long, yeah. 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 Still a long time. <laughs> yeah. About as old as but, we are. <laughs> yeah. But just, just a great, just a great, uh, uh, exploration of, of how, uh, you know, to use our minds in the, the different capacities of our mind uh, and try to cooperate with them and recognize that they can't be all things all the time. Yeah, just have compassion and patience with yourself while also not, you know, giving up on whatever it is you're drawn to kind of doing and achieving, you know, with the kind of lens of spiritual growth to help you along the way. Yep. And that great uh, single uh, practice that never fails to show up in Confederation channeling, meditation. Through meditation, through exploring ourselves in silence, we can work with these pieces of ourselves that are standing in the way and blocking the love and light of the creator. And remember, you know, it's about becoming a channel. It's not necessarily about, you know, tuning your consciousness and saying words that the Confederation gives you. It's more uh, poignantly and more importantly about becoming a channel in your daily life and letting more and more of that creator's love come through you. Because if you keep trying to do it from your own resources, like they say, you're going to run out. This was something that um, Monka in the last session we did uh, last week uh, was talking about, too, that like you don't have... The, uh, everything that you need necessarily uh, in order to serve and learn. You're going to do a lot better and stop being worn out if you open up to the greater resources that exist in your greater self, instead of just thinking of yourself as this personality that's being rigidly disciplined. And then every once in a while it screws up and has to go back. Uh, it has to go back to, uh, you know, the dugout. Agreed. And I, you know, I, I, we've talked about this in the past and you just mentioned it, the, the daily practice is so important. Um, and it's often, I think we can get carried away and think catalyst is only the big things. We only talk about the big things, but mm -hmm. honestly, the, some of the most profound realizations I've had in the past few months have been based on just, you know, doing the daily practice and, and asking myself, well, what really annoyed or ups upset me or, you know, got under my skin today. And, you know, realizing that even small irritations, if they come up more than once, you know, maybe once or twice in a week, there's really some uh, concept there that's that has potential to be explored and balanced. And it's amazing once you, you start just doing that, it just it, it's all it's it's a, it, your life becomes magical, like things that bothered you in the past, they organically, not immediately, but they organically when you're doing this for days, weeks, months. Of, and of course, certainly years, things that organically bothered you, like, you know, I would always have problems with people who just 
were maybe not competent, just didn't care about being competent or they didn't care about doing a poor job, it would really bother me. And, you know, obviously, if you just say, well, there's a lot of the logical mind, especially trained by society, will say, oh, there's reasons to get upset about that. But ultimately, you don't need to get upset about all these things. You know, you can still take action without being upset over someone who is incompetent, right? So, uh, yeah, just daily practice is so important and so useful. And I, I'm frankly so glad that um, and blessed that, you know, whether I think it was the raw material that first introduced me to this concept of kind of like even looking at the little small things in life as yeah. catalysts and really realizing that reality is really set up in such a way that every single moment contains love. And if mm -hmm. we're experiencing something other than love, uh, perhaps that's a sign that there's something that can really be balanced. And it's just a blessing that I've, you know, adopted and put that practice uh, philosophy into practice. It's just, it's amazing, man. Hey, if you haven't read that last Monka session yet, you should check it out okay. because it's on exactly will. this subject. Exactly awesome. this subject. Like Sounds every good. single word you were saying pings off of what Monka was saying. So, uh, why don't we, uh, why don't we leave it there? Um, yeah. Thanks so much for joining me. I know that uh, you have a busy weekend and I appreciate you making the time. And I, yeah, same to you, Jeremy. I know that this weekend was, it's just been crazy lately. I feel like it right, has, year, it's been so. crazy. Like if it's crazy for y'all listeners uh, know that it's crazy for us too. And like, we want to be partners and friends with you of working through uh, what can be a difficult life sometimes uh, to, to bring this uh, message and this consciousness through. And we're all learning how to ground it and make it, make it matter. Um, but uh, you know, we love when it's a dialogue. So please reach out and let us know uh, how we can be helpful. Uh, what you want to hear about. Thanks again to Melissa, Stephen, and the bring forth community. Um, and uh, don't forget to check out uh, that building forth podcast and uh, we'll catch you next time. And in the meantime, my friends, Stay in the love and light.